When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to England Cricket on 99.94 Cricket Every Day. I'm Daniel Norcross from Test Match Special, Wisdom Cricket Monthly, um, Odds and Sods, the Zero Ducks Given podcast, which um, I recorded last night, entirely sober. It was a very strange experience. <laughs> and I am joined at this uh, quite early hour in the morning, it's 10.15 UK time, by the chief cricket writer of the Press Association, the puff pastry hangman himself, who's looking bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, like he's already done an entire day's work. It is Rory Dollard. Uh, g'day, Rory. Hello there. I've, I've spoken to Glenn McGraw this morning. That's what I've done with myself. Ooh. How, was, how did that go? Well, good. It's, the, it's personally the nicest and most pleasant experience I've ever had involving Glenn McGraw because he ruined most of my youth. So. And he is one of the loveliest men uh, you could wish to meet, isn't he? It's, it's, <laughs> so, it's one of the more depressing things, along with Mitchell Johnson. That's also very upsetting. And incidentally, if you want to find out more about Mitchell Johnson, jump on 99.94 and listen to the podcast that he's doing with Burrett Sunderason, where you find out all the ins and outs of what it takes to be um, a really snarling fast bowler who turns out to be one of the loveliest human beings on the planet. Anyway, let's get back to England cricket, because today... We are going to just run a brief faint rule over the end of the most pointless series of all time. We covered it for the most part in our last podcast, but it finished with a, with a banging whimper, if such a thing <laughs> is humanly possible. We're also going to look at uh, the announcement of a new England men's selector, Luke Wright of Sussex and England. Um, he's stepping into that role, and we're going to discuss what exactly that means. And uh, finally... The England women have announced their squads, T20s and ODIs, for their tour of the West Indies, a tour that's going tragically under the under the radar, really. Not enough coverage of it from what I can see. So if you want to find out what's going on there, and I certainly do, we're going to have to do a bit of hunting around. Anyway, we shall look into all of that over the course of the next 25 minutes or so. England Cricket on 99.94 is your new home for England Cricket content. It will be dropping into your podcast feed and on YouTube or the 99.94 app several times every week. So please do rate, review and subscribe. Thank you for joining Cricket's Conversation. Rory, I touched on it. It ended with a banging whimper. Uh, It was a colossally heavy defeat and it was almost... Like it was like a kind of a work to rule. I mean, <laughs> there, there could well be a general strike in England over the course of this winter. I didn't think it would be the cricketers who'd get in there first. Well, the the, <laughs> the new coaching consultant, Mick Lynch, was out there <laughs> telling them what they could and couldn't do. Uh, yeah, it was a whimpering bang. I used, I'm sure I used to have a CD by a a lo-fi uh, grunge core band called Whimpering Bang. Uh, maybe maybe they were the influence. <laughs> I don't know. It was. It was actually really quite fitting, wasn't it? That it was. England were England were on the way to a three nil defeat in a series they didn't really want to be playing. That isn't counting for any points to any league system. That isn't catering to an audience on the ground because 
what was the estimate? 4,000 people in the MCG? Uh, pretty rubbish. So actually, in a way, the thumping, thundering nature of the defeat, 221 runs in a in a 50-over ODI, which was a little bit reduced by rain, was was kind of what it needed to be because it... it ordinarily, you'd expect Australia to be celebrating with glee and vigour and the fans would be hurling it into the England team as they're left with their tail between their legs. But actually, England rocked up, sucked up the record defeat in the format and ended with Joss Butler talking about what had happened nine days earlier. It didn't register. It didn't It didn't make a flicker, this series. And neither did the final manner of the defeat. Did England... Did England learn a bit about their depth and maybe that they have a bit of work to do? Perhaps, perhaps. But I don't think there'll be... I don't think in the end of season uh, performance reviews, too many people will be paid a heavy price for this one. Well, yeah, it, it, it sort of reminded me a little bit, and you might be just a touch too young for this, of the uh, IRA prisoners' dirty protest in the <laughs> Mays prison in the uh, late 1970s. Uh, it was... Wow. It, it was, it was that good, was it? it was, <laughs> Well, yeah, it was that horrendous in so many ways. Um, and I had entire sympathy with the team, I have to say. I'm not saying this in any way as a, as a critique of what went on. But I would say there's a little bit of concern, just a tiny bit of concern in the way England bowled because that pitch at the MCG, it looked to me like it was pretty similar to the one that England had played a T20 World Cup final on the nine days before, which was a really interesting pitch, one that um, very much assisted Pakistan's seamers. Nazim Shah, Shine Shah Afridi, until he got injured, particularly, uh, as well as Harris Ralph. There was a lot going on in that pitch. And England had the bowlers on paper that you thought might be interesting on that. Ollie Stone, um, Chris Wokes, maybe, you know, gets a lot of wickets up front with the with the new ball, has done in, ten, in 50 over cricket a lot recently. And yet, Australia piled on well over 200 for the first wicket which was something of a concern. I just don't know whether that was a function of the players' hearts not being in it, it all being a bit chilly, everybody thinking about leaving, or whether there is some actual kind of fundamental issue that England might have on certain pitches with their bowling attack. And also, actually, Rory, I mean, if you don't play 50-over cricket for a long, long time, and England's players don't, because they don't play in the Royal London Cup, so they don't play 50-over cricket domestically. Hmm. There aren't that many 50-over internationals. Australia don't play a 50-over international at home until 2024 now, absolutely staggeringly. Hmm. So is it that actually the skills required to bowl your 10-overs and to bowl yeah. 50-overs are, are getting slightly lost amidst the slew of T20 cricket? Yeah, it's feeling like the unloved format, isn't it, at the moment? And mm. and that might change as we as we head into twenty three because there's a World Cup and and it does kind of to some extent it follows it follows the tournament structure how how people sort of invest and prioritise their formats but but T twenty doesn't is unlikely to be treated with the same lack of care and attention that fifty over has been for a little while because of the of the franchises and players' interests in that regard. 50 over's got a bit to do. England's next series is in South Africa. A rearranged COVID series that they don't really want to <laughs> don't really want to be playing either that is sort of butting heads with South Africa's new 2020 franchise tournament. There's 
every chance we're having this conversation again in January saying, what's this one all about? It's, it feels like a precarious time for 50 over cricket and, and the world champions, England, who, who really did so much to lift the format up by its bootstraps, aren't doing a great deal to help it. On the bowling question, I think England would look at India in the 50 over World Cup and they'd be hoping to have Jofra Archer in part of their attack. They'd be hoping to have Mark Wood in their attack. Uh, so I don't know that they would have the the same problems that they had at the MCG. I don't know if Sam Curran, for all his exceptional performances of late in T20s, I don't know that he's a proven prospect over 10 overs. It's a bit... It is it is a, a subtly different thing that you've got to do to get through a couple of spells or three spells and, and bowl a bit longer and give batsmen a bit more sight because he's got a lot of joy from people not knowing or not being able to predict what he's about to serve up. And in 10 overs, that's a bit tricky. And he hasn't... I don't know that he's answered the question that he should definitely be in England's 50-over team yet. So there are one or two issues, but I, I do get the strong impression that they'll be starting from a blank canvas at the start of 2023 and that their 3-0 uh, series mm. defeat in Australia won't be forming an enormous part of their discussion. What what I think might assist Sam Curran is that the next World Cup's in India and yeah. I think he'd be one of six bowlers. So he may not be required to bowl 10 because if you have Liam Livingston, who could be a genuinely effective one of six, in Indian conditions, along with Moeen Ali and Adil Rashid, then Curran can be one of the seamers, yeah. if you know what I mean. You, you could go in there with uh, three seamers, three spinners, can't you? Which or, or even four four seamers, two two spinners. I don't know. Um, in Indian conditions, that might assist him. But there was a sort of there was a kind of toothlessness on a pitch that was really really helpful. But as I say, it's virtually impossible to gauge. <laughs> whether there are issues there yeah. or not. Because, um, I mean, the way England capitulated with the batting was a, a kind of amusing recherche echo of how the Hobart test ended nearly, what, yeah. 10, 11 months ago. And yet, when England were on their way to Hobart International Airport, they were going there with a 4 nil Ashes drubbing as opposed to going to <laughs> Melbourne International Airport with a World Cup in their bag. So There was another um, topic in tailing, wasn't there, in the fact that Travis Head was the breakout yes. superstar of the Ashes series, much to everyone's surprise, uh, that he was the elite A-lister of the Ashes to- uh, series. And I suppose for his own recollections, for his diaries of 2022 he signs it off with 150 against England so he's he's loving life against England right now and actually that that does count because when the Ashes comes back around next summer Travis Head's going to feel like a million dollars when he walks out to place in England attack he, he, he feels like he's got got himself in a pretty good place against English bowling yep yep we are already into the Ashes phony war um, <laughs> we saw it with Steve Smith sledging Sam Curran and uh, well I suppose it is only seven months or eight really until the first Ashes test so bring it on it's time for us to take a break uh, just a short one when we get back we are going to discuss the appointment of Luke Wright as England's selector I'm Jared Kimber the host of Red Inca on 99.94 but we're now adding a new weekly podcast Double Century It's about our sports, weird, funny, sad and amazing history. 
So if you want to know about the man who could catch balls and birds, or what Avida may have done to a cricket club, search for us in your favourite podcast platform or find us on the 99.94 DM app. Welcome back. Um, Rory Dollard, Daniel Norcross here for England Cricket on 99.94 DM. Luke Wright has been appointed as selector. So it's a funny old role, the role of selector. Ed Smith, uh, wee Jimmy Taylor, um, there's an awful lot goes into it. I mean, I remember when Jeff Miller did it, he, I think he he claimed to drive around 65,000 miles a season going from county game to county game. Um, tell me, what are Luke Wright's responsibilities here? They're pretty broad and wide-ranging, aren't they, Rory? Mm. It's so, crucially, I think, it's different to what we were expecting because when Rob Key took over as uh, director of cricket, he was quite keen to reinstate the role of national selector that Ed Smith had held, which was a powerful job. He, I think to some extent, Ed Smith built his part. He sort of wrote a few extra lines into the script. And when there was changes behind the scenes, every time somebody new came in, I think Ed Smith told them he had more power than than they thought he did. So that was theoretically the position that, that Rob Key was bringing back. And I think it was advertised as national selector. Now, Luke Wright has been appointed to men's selector, not national selector, which is just a, I don't know, it's a job title thing. But in the wording of the statement, it says he will have input into the selection of the national team. Now, Ed Smith had significantly more than input. He pretty much had a casting vote and he had a team of people who'd feed information into him. So Rob Key has retained his selection role on that panel, which I think is really good because he has barely put a foot wrong. I mean, he's, he's putting together a fantastic little bit of uh, sort of body of work in this job, Rob Key, but not, not least in selection because he's made a lot of smart, instinctive, logical calls. So I'm personally delighted that Rob Key has a voice in the room. I, I do also think, although Luke Wright is potentially got, got a strong voice now as the selector, Rob Key's the boss and you know when you go to a meeting with your boss <laughs> their opinion counts doesn't it so uh his role is wider than that it's about you know there, there is a a pathway element to it it says he'll be involved in the uh decisions around central contract awarding around pathway stuff lions so it's a pretty big job and and he's got the the primary interest like James Taylor did for feeding back from the county game and that's really sensible because Luke Wright's 37. He played county cricket up to this summer. Very, very well connected within the game. He knows everyone and he's going to have a, he's going to come in with some pretty well-formed ideas and, you know, a stacked phone full of contacts who can help him out. So I think a pretty good appointment and another, another, another check in, in Rob Key's tick box because has he made a bad appointment yet? Uh, well, I mean, time will tell, but I don't think so. No, um, Stokes is captain. A couple of things. Stokes yeah, is captain, yeah. pretty good. McCullum, yeah. you're going to give that a, a raw brought success. Matthew Mott's just won a title. They brought in a couple of coaching consultants, Saker and Hussey. They did the job. I don't know. He's he hasn't blobbed out yet, has he? Really? So Luke no. Wright is that is the uh, the next test of his gut instincts. Uh, yeah, and there are a couple of things to add to that about Luke Wright, and they, they don't have to be important, but. He's an incredibly likable man, Luke Wright. And I, I don't know if that's important, but I think 
it might be helpful uh, in a way that, in that people like him across the county scene. So I don't think they're going to be grumblings and mumblings about, you know, um, conflicts of interest or uh, he doesn't like me and that's why he hasn't picked me and that kind of thing. I think um, he's got – there's a very generous view of Luke Wright across English cricket and that will help him in his role because it's a contentious role hmm. being a selector. I, I do wonder um, – it seems that he's going to be uh, probably better suited to helping to select white ball sides, perhaps, than test sides. But frankly, th- there are more of those. <laughs> there are yeah. more T20s being played and there are one-day internationals and there are World Cups to be played. So um, there's a kind of sense to that as well, isn't there? And I get the feeling that with the test side, um, not that it runs itself, but there's a slightly different dynamic going on insofar as what does Stokes and McCullum want out of a test player. Yes. Um, and they'll probably be feeding that into the matrix to Luke Wright and saying, spew out for me the cricketer that fits with that. And actually those guys will also know them anyway. I mean, Ben Stokes will have a very good idea of the yeah. players on the circuit that he wants in the side. And, and also the, through the Lions, they're going, to, they're going to see people before they play in the senior side who are coming up through, they're going to get options and chances in the Lions. And Stokes and McCullum are looking for personality type. And I don't know, something intrinsic, I think. They're not they're not wanting Luke Wright to feed back that player X scores excellently behind square in the middle session. You know, <laughs> I don't know yeah. that's what they're yeah. looking for. So it's a little bit thinner than that. Um, as you say, Luke Wright played 101 white ball internationals for England and didn't, didn't play test cricket, got in a few squads, went on a, at least one tour, if not a couple, but didn't play test cricket. So that's interesting. But but he, he yeah, you know, he he's got the he's got the contacts and the recent action and I like the age profile. I think 37 is good. Mm. Alex Stewart we know was uh was was heavily linked to that job at 59. Now he knows everyone and everything. But at 59 is he not better suited Sort of leading that Surrey dressing room than than submitting a squad every few months. I feel like that yes, would please. be a strange yes, I would, I, use I, of I would, I would, <laughs> I, I entirely agree with that. Um, I don't know whether Alec would will, will, will thank me for this, but uh, Alec, you stay at the Oval. You're doing absolutely fantastically. Usher in a new era of county championship dominance for the mighty Ree. That will suit me fine. And, and, and also uh, for Luke Wright. Uh, for Luke Wright at, at 37, <laughs> who knows where this goes for him? Because... Alex uh, Ashley Giles was an England selector quite young and he ended Ooh. up being the white ball coach and then he ended up being the director of cricket. It's Luke Wright has done some coaching. He's been part of the New Zealand coaching setup this summer, just gone. So it's a foot in the door for Luke Wright, but it, no reason at all why it's the ceiling of where he could wind up in the game. So interesting times. And, and he's got a few decisions to make, by the way. Um, not least because it's an Ashes summer coming up, and an Ashes summer is always going to be busy, and there's a World Cup to pick. So you know he's he doesn't get a, a few soft ones. He's going to walk in to the biggest Test series possible, followed by probably the biggest white ball squad that he can pick. So there's going to be a lot to do there, and he's going to be the latest person who's got to work out <laughs> when and how to manage some of the older players. Anderson and Broad will sort themselves out. I have no doubt about that, that, that he will have to... I don't think Luke Wright's going to have to call up Jimmy, who's older than him, <laughs> tell him that he's done. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but in that white ball setup as well, you've got the likes of Wokes 
and Jordan. And, you know, there's, there's one or two people. Jason Roy, there's a decision that might have to be made pretty soon by the selection panel. Mm-hmm. I suspect he'll go to South Africa in January. If he doesn't go well there, there's a decision to be made. Yep. So, you know, I don't think it's not, it's not as though he just got to roll in and photocopy the team sheet from last time. There's going to, going to be a little bit to do. Uh, before we move on to our third section, just very quickly, you did mention the Lions in action, um, or the Lions selection, and the Lions are in action at the moment against England. It's a kind of mix and match kind of yeah. squad setup. Uh, but one thing of note is that Joffre Archer has opened the bowling for, for not England. So he's, yeah. he's back out on the pitch at Abu Dhabi. Uh, we'll be running the rule over that game and looking forward to the uh, Pakistan Test Series, which starts in no time at all. It's just over a week to go now before that begins, and we will be looking at that in the next few days. But for now, it's time for our final break. And after that, we'll be looking at the announcement of the England women's T20 and ODI squads for the Tour of the West Indies. Whether it's missing flights or retirements out of the blue, whether it's resignations or bans, as the old saying goes, there's never a quiet day in West Indies cricket. So make sure you listen to West Indies on 99.94 to stay up to date with all the latest fallout with the teams in Maroon. Welcome back. So, um, being a women to the West Indies, three T20s, three ODIs, uh, you could be forgiven for not knowing about it because scandalously, um, I don't know where it's on TV. Uh, it might be BT. Might be BT Sport, I guess. Could be. Um, I don't know where it's on the radio. I know it's not on the BBC um, for the basically logistical reasons. Um, people <laughs> at a Pakistan England men's tour to Pakistan happening at the same time. Um, it's te- terribly under the radar, uh, but it should be a marquee series. England go out there with a little bit of turmoil at the back end of their um, summer season, missing Nat Siver, Catherine Brunt, uh, Heather Knight through injury. They are all back. I am delighted to tell you they are all back in the England setup. So England have basically got a full squad of players to choose from. And last summer was a time of change. There was the integration of uh, the likes of Izzy Wong, Lauren Bell, particularly Alice Capsey, fully integrated into the senior side. And now there's even more change with John Lewis as the new coach. So, Rory, your, your takeouts from those squads, they're, they're, they're pretty much to be expected with, I would say, one one big, not surprise, but eyebrow raiser in Lauren Winfield Hill in the T20 squad. Yeah, I think for John Lewis to come in as the head coach and be able to have Heather Knight leading the squad with Nat Siver in support, and Catherine Brunt in the T20s. That's a pretty nice deck of cards that he's been dealt there for his first series because they've been variously absent for a while. Heather Knight for, for quite a long time in the summer with this hip injury. And she is huge. She she really is the spine, really, and the, and the very, very obvious leader of that team. And we know that from the discussions we had about who would lead in her absence. And it was not it was not an absolutely flawless sort of procession of leadership after Heather Knight was was unavailable. So her being back is great to start with Lewis. Siver and Brunt, it, it's a it's it's a big it's a big three for him to be able to call on and, and be there first time. So that's great. Other than you know at the, at the other end of the spectrum, it's it's funny how, just how quickly those new faces that that were brought in now just seem like absolutely bankers. You couldn't imagine the England squad didn't have Alice Capsi in it. Uh Lauren Bell's 
into the thing now. Both the Freyers, Charlie Deans in both squads. It, it just, it, the team has had its freshener and it's no longer the case. Just in the summer, it was like these people were making their debuts. It was like so-and-so makes their ODI debut or their T20 debut and they were they were getting their first steps. All those first steps are done and they're all sort of locked into that squad and there's no no surprise at all that any of them are in it. Lauren Winfield-Hill, I thought she had a chance of getting a recall in the summer because she had a really good 100. Looked very much in control of, of her game and was putting up big numbers. So um, that is a that is a function of them not closing the door, I guess, and just saying that they're not in a position where they can strike a, a line through someone's name and, and always go young. You don't have to always go young because, frankly, the team is young enough now at this point that bringing in Lauren Winfield Hill as somebody with a few more miles on the clock and a bit more, and whether it's perspective savvy, whatever, she's in a good spot. And if she was ever going to get a recall, she's in the form to do it. So her and Tammy Beaumont are basically sharing a place, aren't they? One one in the T20s and one in the ODIs. So mm. that's fine. They're both pretty I, I, pretty bankable players. I think Tammy probably isn't that chuffed about that, mind you. Yeah. I mean, certainly we, we talk about the degradation of 50-over cricket in the, in, in the men's game, but the women's game, 50-over cricket, is really the pinnacle, given the lack of test cricket, which I'll come on to in a minute. Um, but T20 is where the money's at. There's an IPL, a women's yeah. IPL being mooted. Um, you have things like the Fair Break Tournament cropping up. You've got the 100, you've got the Women's Big Bash. Uh, women's leagues are really starting to create a genuinely lucrative potential um, income stream for women who do well in T20. Now, Tammy Beaumont's been out there playing in the Women's Big Bash, still hasn't quite got her form. She hit 37 off 27 the other day, which sort of hinted at what she can do. I don't, the thing is, I don't quite know why. Um, I mean, it's one of those great puzzles in English women's cricket is why Tammy Beaumont can be so dominant in 50-over cricket. But in T20, I don't know, does she tighten up a little bit too much, got a bit too much to prove, got people looking over her shoulder? It's uh, it's a conundrum to me, Rory, that one. Well, there's a, there's a job for John Lewis because he did not pick this squad. He was still being interviewed when, when they were picking this squad and sort of sending out the uh, the party invites. So... He he, sort of in terms of Tammy, he's got a free he's got a free pass. Not my, not my choice, mate. But he can mm. you know he can let her let her play those first few games, see if he can get get a tune out of her. And if he wants to bring her back into the setup, then that's that's a that's a thing for him to go for. So actually, it's there's an opportunity there for John Lewis to see if he thinks Tammy Beaumont, the T Twenty cricketer, is someone someone he can sort of feed back in. Uh, I. I also think it's just in general, it's not a bad thing for that women's setup. And we have touched on this a few times before. It's not a bad thing that that selection is just expected. If you, if you are a good player, you will get picked. It doesn't have to be the case. And Tammy Beaumont is on mm. the wrong side of that right now. She's having to fight for a spot in the T20 squad. But surely rather that than in the past, it was just, if you were out of form, well, you're an England mm. player, so off you come. Well, when, when Mark Robinson, another... Um, far, tall, fast bowling, dark haired man who came into um, coaching England set up, came in to coach England set up back in 2016. And it was Tammy Beaumont he transformed. She had been hmm. uh, a massive underachiever in, in English women's cricket, averaging about 12 or 13 at the time. In she came, um, she threatened Charlotte Edwards' record in an ODI against Pakistan in scintillating fashion and has been a, a mainstay of the 50 over team ever since. I wonder if John Lewis can do to her 20-over game, what Mark Robinson did 
So a 50-over game very, very quickly because we're about to wrap up. Um, are you disappointed there isn't a test match? I'd, I'd like to see 3-3-1 as the format for all women's tours. And it's just, it just seemed like a missed opportunity to me. Yes. Am I disappointed? Yeah, I guess so. Am I surprised? Not remotely. West Indies hosting test cricket, putting it on, seems like it's a big drag and a drain on their resources as it stands. I did not expect them to to host a women's match. Whether that's something that needs to get, I mean that, that that listen that needs to get talked around the ICC table. That needs to be put on the table as a not an option because if you make it optional, we know which option most countries will choose. Yep. Here, here. Uh, right. It's time for us to go. We'll be back in a few days' time, as I said. Looking forward to the Pakistan Test Series that's up and coming and looking back at the warm-up game, the Lions warm-up game against the England side in Abu Dhabi. But thank you for listening to England Cricket on 99.94, where we speak cricket every day. Thanks for listening to England Cricket on 99.94, where we speak cricket every day. Please rate, review and subscribe wherever you enjoy your podcasts. You can download the 99.94 app and follow us on Twitter at Norcross Cricket, in my case and in your case, Rory. At the RVD. Never miss out. Join our 24-7 conversation on social media and follow us at 9994DM. Cricket, every day, your way. Around 10,000 BCE, families and tribes of the ancestors to the people of Britain would arrive in the southern part of the island after crossing from land that bridged from Europe. The Welsh built houses, communities, kingdoms, and continued to survive through Romans, Saxons, Danes, and Normans. The language and culture influenced by these sources continued to change and thrive, becoming ancient and modern at the same time. Join me as we travel through the history, meeting the kings, queens, nobles, and everyday people that create and grew modern Wales from the seeds of the ancient past. Creoso, and welcome to the Welsh History Podcast.